Welcome to episode 13 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. It is our 13th episode and it's a Friday, but it's not Friday the 13th. So hopefully our curse won't be as bad as it usually is. Um, it's There hasn't been that much baseball since we talked to you last, but Stoughton, the Blue Jays were supposedly an incredible team with an unbelievable amount of momentum coming off that sweep of the Texas Rangers. And now they're complete and utter trash getting overtaken by the Yankees. So where are you sitting with the Blue Jays after that nice little roller coaster. Yeah, you know, it, there there are definitely concerns. I know people I've seen highlight the late and close stats and how that's that's been a bit of a thing. I mean, obviously, when you have a terrible bullpen, that doesn't help, but I don't think the hitters have done very well late and close, you know, relative to their own production throughout the rest of the games, which is a bit of a concern. Their record against better teams is a concern, obviously. Um, the Red Sox are better than the Rangers, as much as I it pains me to say it. Um, but, but, uh, you know, I, th- I think there's, they, they are still a very good team and they still have, you know, their own destiny in their hands, right? There's still so many games against the, the teams ahead of them. Um, it, it is, uh, it is annoying though, to have to sort of think about it in those terms after, you know, what felt like such a, a, a big, uh, sweep of the Rangers on the weekend or last weekend. Yeah, I think, I think we've also talked about how we don't necessarily believe that the Red Sox are as good as their record, and I think that still holds true. But there's a difference between not being a 600 win percentage team and being a shit team. And the Red Sox are still a really, uh, you know, they're a really dangerous offense, if nothing else. And they're a team that can blow you up the way they blew the Blue Jays up this week. And I don't think that that means that the Blue Jays are terrible or doomed. I think it more means that people have been inclined to underestimate this Red Sox team and they can be dangerous and they can make you look silly at times and that's exactly what they did to the Blue Jays. They finished behind the Orioles last year. I looked at the standings <laughs> last night and it's like how is this how is that possible and and you know what is Alex Cora doing? <laughs> the Red Sox seem annoyingly good at just having really good seasons out of nowhere like they seem to have that season where like everyone hits their 90th percentile outcome all at the same time even though the team isn't necessarily that good and then they'll have seasons where everyone hits their 12th percent (laughs) outcome and the the team just tanks and it seems like the blue jays get a lot of the 40 to 60 and uh they could have had a little bit more success if they had the Red Sox model of occasionally being surprisingly really good. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Oh, that John Farrell year still haunts me, but uh, but also all the other times that the stupid Red Sox have won are, are bad as well. Yeah, there's plenty of haunting to go around. <laughs> uh, the, sort of the big thing I want to get into this week is the Nate Pearson development, the great relief the Blue Jays have uh, expressed that he has well, a sports hernia, which that's is a good int- headline. That's a good headline. Great interest. Relief. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> never my specialty. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's interesting because it's it's good to have a diagnosis. It's weird that they've been unable to get a diagnosis. And we talked before about how they went and got so many opinions. And again, neither of us are doctors, so we can't speak to how hard that is to diagnose. But it is nice to have clarity, if nothing else, of, okay, this is the situation and this is the vision for what Pearson can do for this team. It's not, we don't know when he's going to be in the rotation and we don't know how good he's going to be when he gets there It's or how many innings he can log. 
it's okay, we're going to get him healthy. And when he's healthy, we're going to put him right in a position where we're very confident he can succeed. I think you and I would both be pretty surprised if he came up to the bullpen healthy and wasn't a really effective weapon and a major upgrade for this team. Yeah, it, 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 it is. It's a great development in that way and in the way that also, yeah, it, it's strange that it took them so long to figure out, oh, it's sports hernia, but that's also good, right? Like, you know, you didn't, you don't want to not know why this issue keeps recurring. So the fact that they think that they do uh, is good. It means that they can can go forward and, you know, hopefully it make, make it so that it is behind him. Um, and, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that it will be uh, uh, huge for the bullpen to have a guy like that uh, just materialize out of nowhere. Obviously, long-term, it's a different story. Long-term, I, was, I, I watched the... Uh, you know, Ross Atkins had a Zoom call, uh, which Porter's in the middle of the week. Uh, I wrote a piece that was out Thursday night about another, like a, a, a hit he did on uh, Tim and Friends, formerly Tim and Sid. Um, but I, but for part of it, I went back and watched w- what he had said earlier in the week, uh, and it was really <laughs> underwhelming. Like when he was asked to clarify, like because he t- basically when he when he mentioned it the first time, it was like, oh, you know, huge relief. He's going to be a weapon for us. He's you know coming out of the bullpen short stints just to manage his workload, and then like several reporters later, he was asked uh, just to be sure, like he's going to go back to the rotation, like he's going to try to be a starter next year. And uh, and Atkins said, you know that it, it was just it was very underwhelming. It was like yeah, that's our hope, basically. Uh, that's like that that's that's most likely, and that's our hope. And it's like oh, that doesn't really sound like the most emphatic. Like, oh my god, absolutely, he's a starter long-term thing. Which, you know, based on how this year has gone, I, I don't think you can blame the Blue Jays for maybe being in that spot. Uh, uh, but that was interesting to me. Uh, but also, and I think as I said in the piece, like that's, that's not the worst outcome in the world. It's not a great outcome, but Nate Pearson as a high-leverage reliever uh, works, for sure. Yeah, and I know that that he's been non-committal and like you said there's plenty of reason for Atkins to be non-committal the comparison that's going to be really natural to make is Aaron Sanchez mm-hmm. um, and what's interesting with Sanchez is that he was incredible out of the bullpen in 2015 like truly unbelievable if if Pearson is that good and he could be he could well be he's got the tools to be that good but if he's that good that's a great outcome for the Blue Jays and even though uh Sanchez was that good out of the bullpen. They didn't give in to that temptation. Even mm-hmm. they put him back in the rotation in 2016. That's really his only good season as a starter. And Sanchez had much worse minor league track record than Pearson. Longer, but worse. Mm-hmm. And there was probably less reason to believe that he was going to be a really good start at the MLB level than there is with Pearson. So, And that was also 2016, a season that they were very much in their competitive window. So when I look at those things, I think... I'd be surprised if they do this if they don't do the same thing. Like they seem to have that discipline in terms of long-term planning. That discipline is probably going to annoy some Blue Jays fans when the deadline rolls around, and that discipline will come in the form mm-hmm. of not trading away huge prospects and maybe not getting the impact and return that some Blue Jays fans are looking for. I think they'll put him back in the rotation. I think the issue is if he goes back in the rotation and then there's a hiccup. Like Sanchez went back in the rotation and then he was really good. And so they kept doing that. And they are arguably, they went with that for way too long. But if Pearson comes back in the rotation 2022 and he isn't any good, which is also a conceivable outcome because he hasn't mm-hmm. really proven it as an MLB starter. 
then that position of, oh, we can always put him in the bullpen and he'll be a good high leverage reliever. There'll be sort of proof of concept for that probably at the end of this year. And they might be more inclined to pull the trigger on that quicker than they would have been if, say, he had been out for the whole season in 2021 and they were starting from scratch in 2022. Yeah, I think you're definitely right about that. Um, and, and it you know, it's interesting just to think about the Aaron Sanchez innings limit drama and all that that was going on and, and you know, like you say, say just had a longer minor league track record than Pearson does and, and I, I I can't quote their innings in the you know, per season off the top of my head, but I suspect that Pearson is uh is below where Sanchez was and so that you know, if it works, I mean that's a it's a good problem to have, but there's definitely a pot- the potential for uh you know, him having to get shut down relatively early. But I think that's just you know, the Jays will probably would love that outcome, would love to take that, would love to be like, well, we have to shut him down in, in early August or something crazy like that because that that would mean that it worked and he stayed healthy and he pitched well. Uh, yeah, even they take that, that would 10 obviously... times out of 10. Yeah, got, I think Like so. Nate Pearson pitched too many good innings out of the rotation. Like, <laughs> oh no. Yeah, yeah. That, that that's not something they're worried about as an outcome. Um, yeah, it'd be great. I think we talked to about kind of reverse engineering like when can Pearson be the full Pearson and at this point there's enough doubt that that kind of dream casting is probably less valuable but like you said like huge innings limit in 2022 we're talking about 2023 conceivably maybe even 2024 before you let this guy loose by that point he's like in his mid-20s before you even see sort of the full what is Nate Pearson as a starter and that's pretty unfortunate. They're like these these setbacks are stacking up, and they make that you know the thing that we've all been imagining for so long make it just so much harder to get to. Not impossible by any means, but it's so hard to work your way back from that point now because there's so many hurdles in the way now. It's very true. I, I think I mean there you know many differences, different people, different body type, bit. But I think of like Brandon Morrow and how long. Uh, the Jays and others, you know, kept chasing that dream of him as a starter, um, because that's what, you know when you just when you have that kind of stuff, that's what you got to do. And I think that's where the Blue Jays are at with Pearson, and rightfully so. And also, they're in a position where they don't have that many starters, especially ones that are signed beyond twenty twenty one. So there's an inclination to err on the side. You know, if they had some incredible rotation, then maybe it would be a different story, and Pearson would have been put down this path. Or not put down this path necessarily, but they'd be less hesitant to mm-hmm. lock them into this path. But to be honest, you know, no team has five starters that are as good as Nate Pearson could theoretically be. No, not even close. Yeah. But the rotation is a is a, is another interesting talking point right now because it, I feel like when we were talking, I don't know, two three weeks ago, it was sort of like, wow, the ro- the bullpen is such a disaster, and the rotation is surprisingly good, and we're feeling comfortable with. You know, with Ray and, you know, Ryu was struggling a bit, but we always felt he would come back, maybe not full ace, but to a decent extent, which he's done. Uh, You know, Matt was on his way back. Manoa was pitching well. Stripling was having this, you know, this rip of really good starts. And that, and there was times where I felt like they probably wouldn't add a starter at the deadline because the cost would be prohibitive and they already had the guys or at least four guys. Um that's changed a little bit, I think. Not only do you have the Pearson is not a reinforcement thing, you also have mm-hmm. 
Manoa's back injury, which we know is fairly minor, but also if we know anything about back injuries, we know that they can be worrisome and they can, I know this is sort of, it's not a strain necessarily, like it's a contusion, still always a tricky area of the body. You never want to count your chickens there. And then Ross Stripling has been, uh, you know, getting blown up in his last couple of starts and he's not that guy, you know, when Ryu takes a couple of goose eggs in a row, you don't necessarily panic, but with Stripling, that the rope is not super long for him, and the way we feel about him at this moment is pretty different than we did three weeks ago. Definitely, uh, uh, you know, he made those changes, and uh, uh, they unlocked something in him. And, and you know, it, it appears. I mean, this is just sort of armchair analysis, but I guess that's all I'm doing. Uh, but, but like, it, it appears as though the league has sort of caught up to that a little bit uh i don't you know it, it, it felt like maybe he was tipping earlier uh he made those you know the changes in, in an effort really to hide the ball battery moved toward third base he, he you know just didn't didn't expose the the ball as much during his wind up uh it, it, it was it was quite a significant difference and it did make a difference for a time but you know the more the league gets familiar with the new ross stripling the more the reality that stripling is sort of probably doesn't have the stuff to to last as a starter it becomes maybe uh more apparent uh though you know with 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 deception that can be quite effective but uh you know it certainly hasn't been in the last couple outings yeah and so they get to this point and like i said before i probably would have said oh they're just going to do bullpen and now they i think they're you know they're still they still have to add in the bullpen there's no doubt about it i think some people are probably underrating the additions of richards and simber like that's real stabilization in my view even barnes is a little bit interesting but which is good because romano's not going so great yeah yeah i mean everything can never be going the same way at once (laughs) yeah But yeah, now I'm starting to think differently about, okay, who are the starters that are out there? Who might they get? Like they, last year, they, you know, they went after multiple rental starters. This year, the rental pool isn't that great. I know people have talked about Scherzer before. That's super complicated. And also just, I, you know, the NL East is so bad that I could even envision the Nationals thinking they have a chance. So I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not banking on that. I'll say, you know, John Gray is obviously a name that's really interesting. I This is probably just a personal weakness, but I always find myself dreaming on Rockies pitchers. Like, just if we could just get them out of there, like, they're going to be incredible. Like, if their breaking pitches can move for once and every fly ball they hit isn't deep right. into the most <laughs> insane gap or getting the altitude bonus, whatever. That's an interesting name. For me, like, what do you what do you see them doing in the deadline in terms of rotation? Do you think that's changed in the last couple of weeks? And what are some names that you know you've seen come up that have interest for you? Yeah, well, this is the the thing is, you know, you're right that Gray is an interesting name and one of the few that's out there. And and the Blue Jays are just not in the position to pay the steepest price, right? I think there's always going to be a team that's going to outbid them at this point because everybody's going to need pitching help and particularly in the rotation obviously like i think they can find relievers because there's just there is enough of those out there uh but real rotation help i think is going to be real difficult because anybody that the blue jays identify and are willing to make an offer on uh there's going to be teams better positioned and more you know in more of a 
uh, win now kind of mentality. I think that uh, the, then they are that will be willing to up their offers. Uh, the, you know, the the they the, the factor that could change things there is maybe money because the Blue Jays are one of the few teams that will be able to probably take money off of another team's books, uh, which is you know a weapon that they should have been using for the last twenty years and often haven't. Um, but but uh, but yeah, I, I mean. Gray's interesting. I I haven't been paying. I've been paying attention, but like, there's no one I love on the market. I mean, I love Barrios. I think that that would be uh, great for the Blue Jays to to add a starter like that. And obviously, that's what they're going to kind of be looking for, like somebody with with more control and me. And that's that's the only way that they're going to go, you know, deeper into their prospect pool and and maybe some of the more elite guys uh, could be on the table for a deal like that. But. Uh, but yeah, I mean the rental market is not great, and, and and I also find it just you know hard to hard to analyze this group's uh, or to predict what this group is going to do. They always seem to like find guys you weren't thinking about. Like I don't know if anybody was nobody was talking about Adam Simber, for example, or Corey Dickerson. Um, and last year, you know, Ray and, and Walker obviously I guess was a little bit uh, of a of an obvious uh, starting target, but. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's it's tough to know what they're going to do, which is which is you know good for them, I think. But it but it it makes it seem all you know all the more pointless to be like dreaming on the big names that are you know that are on MLB trade rumors every day. I think you make a really good point in terms of the sense of urgency they have compared to some other teams and how that affects them in the rental market. They do like rentals. Like they've clearly, they've gone out and gotten rentals in the past. And the reason they like rentals, it's kind of weird because it's not because they like focusing on single year windows. It's because they like not giving up big prospects. So they, mm. they actually ironically take single year window guys to maximize their window, which is a weird premise. But <laughs> But yes, I think that's true. That's what they do. Unfortunately, yeah, the rental market isn't great this year. There are a couple of guys. You mentioned Barrios and Kyle Gibson, who are the two-year guys. Um, again, even that, it's hard. It's hard to say. Like those are very top of the market. I don't even know to what degree Barrios is available. To be fair, if I'm the, if I'm the Twins, why would I like? Why would I be punting on next year? Yeah, like, that's my that's my thought. I think you know even. You know, Cruz was a one-year contract guy, so I, I don't mm-hmm. think that the Twins are necessarily going to consider next year wash. That division, the White Sox are really good, but you can still beat up on some of the other teams, potentially make a wild card. And then you have guys that, yeah, I think the guy that they might be looking at is the is the Ross Stripling equivalent. It's the guy who has a couple years of control, maybe is struggling now, but they see something in him. Like, I've tried to dig up some of these names. One guy mm-hmm. is Caleb Smith in Arizona. He misses a ton of bats, walks too many guys. I think of an incredibly uh, poor a poor man's Robbie Ray with uh, Ross Stripling's control. So a nice little <laughs> nice little mix between not literal control is literal control is bad. Uh, team right. control. Yes. Um, a poor a, man's Robbie. A poor man's Robbie Ray, which last year was Robbie Ray. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> not as bad as Robbie Ray was last year, although that would be pretty much impossible for just about anybody. <laughs> Another Rocky, Antonio Sensatella, very different, like a big ground ball guy doesn't strike anyone out, but, you know, back of the rotation guy, another, you know, like you said, when, like I said before, when people come from the Rockies, there's always the hope that you can fix their stats because they've been just brutalized there. 
But yeah, there's a bunch of those guys floating out there, but it's not like they're going to get an elite guy with control because that's, you know, people don't trade those guys generally and they're probably not going to get an elite rental guy. So I don't, I don't know. I just don't think Blue Jays fans are necessarily going to be happy with who they get, but I'm starting to think they're going to get somebody, which is not what I would have believed if you'd asked me three weeks ago. Yeah, that, that sounds fair to me. And I think you're right that the <laughs> Jays fans are kind of being set up for disappointment. A disappointment, but I would also say that you know they they they, are, they do have a situation to like capitalize on, and you know you don't want to move too much just to like for the hope of a, a wild card play in game or whatever. Um, but they also have forty man issues, and they also have like a lot of talent coming, and and there's guys like you know, and this is what I've been writing about this week. Like there's like Kevin Smith. Or whoever choose, you know, Otto Lopez is on the forty man. Uh, there's guys who, you know, clearly this time next year you're going to be like, well, now there's going to be too many middle infielders because you're you'll ideally be thinking about Groshans and 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 Austin Martin coming up, uh, and the and so they're sort of at the fringes of the roster. There are, uh, I think it's there's a real opportunity to move those kind of guys who you might end up having to lose anyway. Uh, obviously that stuff can all happen in the winter, but uh, but to use that to take a shot at this year is, uh, is I think, good. And I, I, I think a, a good thing for them to do, like a, a good idea, uh, we, as we've talked about, you know, the, 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 if Marcus Semien and Robbie Ray aren't here next year, there's kind of... Uh, the team was going to be a bit different and not maybe not as good and this so this is sort of a real opportunity even though they're not as close in the standings as you'd like and there's all sorts of warts and whatever uh so i, I the, you know so with a take with a grain of salt when i say i think the jays fans are probably being set up for disappointment because i think they can still add some impact talent without fundamentally changing you know the path that the organization is on because i don't know that kevin smith fits into the the plans or you know miguel geraldo is another guy who needs to be on the 40 man next winter or this this coming winter uh who is a great a really good prospect not a great prospect but you know someone who could conceivably help the jays add some impact talent uh for the near term and might be easier to part with because of that fact yeah in terms of the type of guys that they might part with it's interesting because we see the same i've seen the same names continually floated kevin smith is one samad Mm -hmm. taylor's another one Um, I've been doing some thinking on that. And so what I've cooked up here is the Shapiro Atkins definitive trade deadline history. And I'm going to be careful with this because I realize that a nice long list doesn't necessarily make people love a listicle in writing, but people don't necessarily (laughs) love an audio listicle. I try and go through this kind of as quickly as possible. Um, the good news for the listener is that the Cleveland Indians, when now the Cleveland Guardians, Guardians, yeah, um, oh yeah, when Shapiro and Atkins were there, which is 2001, when Shapiro became the GM, and Atkins uh, took his first major role in the front office that year too. So we can kind of continue consider that the starting point. That to them leaving um, didn't often make the playoffs, so weren't often in this position to add the deadline. So. While you might think I'm going to read you 20 different years of deadline <laughs> trades, do not worry. Uh, there was only a couple of cases that kind of fit into the Jays' current bucket. So we're going to just zip through it pretty quickly now. 2001, Indians are headed to the playoffs. And the only deadline move they make is Zach Day, who's sort of a 23-year-old pitching prospect who ended up having a kind of unremarkable career for Milton Bradley. 
Um, Milton Bradley was a young player who was struggling on and kind of off the field at that point, and they sort of took a flyer on his talent. He wasn't really that deadline here's the guy we push with type of ad. So kind of a, 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 a not not as refined in terms of how they feel about clubhouse culture uh, well, at that time, I believe. Yeah, they talk about Milton Bradley <laughs> even to this day. Shapiro likes to talk about him as sort of an example of what they've learned. So this was pre that learning. Uh, yeah. 2002 and 2003, Indians losing team out of the picture. Uh, 2004, they're five games out of a wild card, so kind of where the Blue Jays are. Uh, didn't really do anything. The biggest thing they did, and the reason I noted this down as a little uh, old friend, they added Josh Phelps in an August trade from the Blue Jays. That's when the Blue Jays gave up on Josh Phelps, who at one point I was convinced was going to be a very good hitter. And, uh, Catcher I, of the future. I was wrong. <laughs> the uh, first position. <laughs> 2005, four <laughs> games out of the wild card, similar situation, nothing really too interesting. They traded some bench players around Alex Cora and Jody Garrett, and they got Ramon Vasquez, Jason Dubois. So they were shifting some pieces around, but it wasn't really additions. Also, just funny to see Alex Cora's name pop up there. 2006, way out of it. 2007, they went to the playoffs. This is the most interesting uh, case for me. So this team went to the playoffs, and this is the only time I've seen them trade what's like a really quite a good prospect at the deadline. So they traded a 22-year-old catcher named Max Ramirez. He played in the Futures game that year, um, went Mm -hmm. on to become a Baseball America top 100 prospect. Uh, I think it was one year later, and also, you know, didn't go on to a good major league career. But he was a fairly big-time prospect. And they traded him to get a 40-year-old Kenny Lofton to bring him back to Cleveland for the millionth time. But he was actually quite good at that at that point because Kenny Lofton never aged. So he was like a legitimate, was amazing, yeah. he was a legitimate everyday player at that point. So that was the first and kind of only time you see them trading sort of a big-time prospect to get someone who's going to help them win in that moment at the deadline. So then we get a nice chunk here, 2008 to 2012, just nothing doing uh, playoff-wise, uh, no additions. 2013, another um, old friend alert. They get Mark Zepchinski for a 20-year-old prospect named Juan Herrera, who was not much of a prospect. That year, Zepchinski was horrible. And then he came to Cleveland, and he was unbelievable. For He had like an ERA less than one and 20 innings for them, and they made the playoffs by one game that year. So he actually might have been the difference. Um, That said, going and getting Mark Zepchinski, who'd spent most of that year at AAA, not a big deal. Not an indication yeah. of uh, big spending. 2014 and 15, uh, they're out of the picture. And then we get the Blue Jay stuff. So in 2016 and 2020. 2016, Storen for Benoit. You know, one problem for another. Uh, Hansel Rodriguez, a nothing prospect for BJ Upton. Jesse Chavez for Mike Bolzinger. Uh, man, the Blue Jays never should have got Jesse Chavez in the first place. <laughs> yeah, Liam Hendricks turns out. Yeah, really bad. good. Lupi Chavez for Scott Feldman. <laughs> Neither of those players were anything. And then the Hutchinson, Liriano, Maguire, Ramirez deal. So that's them getting prospects. And then basically, and though, tw- though Liriano pitched his ass off and, and was maybe the difference for them. And then got them Teoscar Hernandez. Like Liriano yeah. has like this little slice of uh, this period in Blue Jays history of being. Uh, an important piece, although Maguire and Harold Ramirez didn't end up being important pieces for the Blue Jays. And yes, I feel comfortable saying that about Reese Maguire, even though he is still on the active roster. Um, <laughs> for now, yeah. So 2020, I think people forget 
that they gave away some gave away. They traded away some real prospects last year. Not the top top guys, but Alberto Rodriguez for Taiwan Walker. Fangrass had him 17th for the Blue Jays prior to the year, and then he he didn't make the MLB pipeline for Mariners by the end of the year. But still, that's a real prospect. Bergen for Ray, not really. Bergen, there's someone they already let go in the Rule 5. Kendall Williams um, and Real prospect, Ryan Noda yeah. for Stripling. But Williams was 13th on their fan graphs list before the season and became the Dodgers 24th. But, you know, Dodgers are a really good system. And then mm-hmm. Griffin Conine, 15th for the Blue Jays prior to the year on fan graphs, became the Marlins' 18th best prospect. So, yeah, those aren't... You know, for, John, for Jonathan VR, for Jonathan VR, you could, could forget terrible, terrible uh, addition <laughs> to the team. Who was probably you know one of those guys where I you know I I'm pretty analytically inclined and I generally believe that war correlates nicely with a player's value. Somehow VR just seemed even worse than whatever his <laughs> war was for the Blue Jays, like even more destructive with sort of some of the base running and all that stuff. Anyway, so. They don't, in short, they don't give away big-time prospects, or they don't have a history of that. Now, with Cleveland, they probably had more payroll constraints, which made it harder for them to make some of the deals. Maybe there were deals that they might have made but didn't. But, I, you know, I look at some of the guys, you know, who's in that sweet spot for the Blue Jays? Who's in their sort of teen prospect? And a couple of these guys, um, you know, Kendall Williams, Alberto Rodriguez, even going back, Juan Herrera, they, they traded away sort of young guys who are far away but with promise. So I see guys like Raquel Castro. He's like a slick-feeling shortstop, hasn't hit anything yet. Leo Jimenez, a no-power, good-hit tool, middle infield guy, maybe a second baseman. Desan Brown, you know, people don't like to see a Canadian kid go. Great athlete, hasn't really hit yet. Center fielder, Adam Kloffenstein uh, or Stein. Those type of guys. Like, I mean, that's kind of a Kendall Williams comparison. Guys who are relatively mm-hmm. far away um, – those are guys who are on the radar too. And those are real prospects. And those aren't people that you give away lightly. But that's the kind of bracket I can see them drawing from is sort of those guys who are far away, but promising, but, you know, just not part of the team's outlook in the next two to three years. Yeah, the, which makes sense. I, I would say I, I think you're right about the payroll constraints. I mean, I think that changes things. I hope that changes things a bit. Uh, not just in terms of like being able to add salary, but like just literally not having to prize your prospects so much. Like Cleveland, obviously, you know, just couldn't could not divest themselves from too many prospects because that was just so relied upon to build the big league roster because they weren't going to go out there and spend a bit. And hopefully, the Jays are in a bit of a different situation. Uh, you know, twenty sixteen a bit of an outlier because clearly everybody saw the rebuild was coming and they were kind of like holding off on that. At that point already, basically, uh, hence the hence getting prospects in the Hudson Liriano deal, um, and twenty twenty, you know, they maybe just weren't ready yet to go all in. Maybe they maybe they aren't this year, but it, it it's weird. I mean, if they if they were like, you know, if they had won like a handful more games, uh, I you know, I think it would the, everything would be on the table, which is maybe stupid to think, you know, that it shouldn't also be, but they are. You know they are in a real tough division, and it's going to be tough to give away guys uh, with future value for certainly for rentals for this year, uh, the and to get guys with control, it just is going to the the cost is going to be high. So I, I think you're probably right about well, clearly you've done the analysis, you've looked at the, all the deals. 
about the bracket of prospects that they're they that are most likely to go. But I but I also think you know they're they have enough close to the big league talent, or they have some close to the close to the big league's talent, or uh, that uh, they may not necessarily need and aren't as desperate as Cleveland would have been uh, in those years to hang on to. That maybe uh, maybe that does still come into play and I think th- those are kind of the guys that uh, often teams are looking for you know you don't want to give up a guy off your major league roster and not get somebody who's gonna uh, take forever to to you know come <laughs> to come and and help you at all I mean uh, gen- depending on I guess the stage of any team's rebuild but there's there's not as many teams at this point who are not uh, who are like we're five years away as there were maybe a couple years ago yeah, that's true. Although, I mean, just and this is just a big picture thought on my part. I think sometimes teams are value the proximity to the big leagues too much when they're in that rebuild stage. I when I think of the mm-hmm. prospects the Blue Jays got um, when they were kind of dumping veterans, uh, sort of in that twenty seventeen to twenty nineteen range. I think a lot of times they ended up with guys who were kind of twenty three, twenty four fringe of roster. Um, yeah. and generally speaking that didn't work like, you know I just think of the Jay Happ trade like I still think that's a at the time I thought it was an indefensible trade and then it went even worse than I possibly could have imagined <laughs> um, you know Bill oh, I thought I, I thought Drury had figured it out so <laughs> Drury was, I, was not correct on that uh, one. The, he well liked by his teammates works hard cannot hit a lick and you know Billy McKinney <laughs> was not even great in AAA when they traded for him I think uh <laughs> You know, if I were another team... Did you, did you see that play last night? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> truly brutal. Uh, he, he keeps getting jobs. It's just, he keeps getting jobs, and that's great for him and his family, and it's nice to... I don't know, I don't know if he's going to get the generational wealth, to be honest, if I'm going to be fully, perfectly honest, but he, he could get that nice nest egg. You know, he could yeah. get that down payment on the house, um, the way he's playing and the way he's managing to kick around the major leagues. But... It's interesting to see what other teams' preferences will be because some teams will, you know, kind of those younger guys I I kind of described, maybe a Pittsburgh is more interested in that. But maybe, a, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about Minnesota. Like, I don't know. I don't think Barrios is really on the table. But if you got some from Minnesota for whatever reason, they might be more interested in a Kevin Smith. So that, that's all going to depend. Yeah. Uh, and that that did seem to be a factor in the, the Cruz deal, that they wanted guys who are close to big league ready. Yeah, I think before we should get get out of here, we should definitely uh, touch on the Cruz deal because it's a bit of a bummer for Blue Jays fans to see that the Tampa Bay lineup, which has just always been so you know top to bottom consistent, like above average, a bunch of guys that don't necessarily individually scare you that much, but are deployed in good matchups, and there's a lot of them, and there aren't holes. It's like, what has this lineup not had? One huge masher in the middle of it, and now they've got it. Yeah, I mean, real smart for them and a system that's so deep that they can afford the price. And that's partly, you know, what we were talking about before, about, you know, the the fact that they are, I think they were 18 games above 500 as of, I, I don't know if they played last night. I don't think they did, but um, yeah, as opposed to the Blue Jays who are four games above 500. So uh, that puts them in a, a better position to go and make deals like that. And their deep system puts them in a position to be able to go make deals like that as well. So not surprising, but also shocking in a way. And you're absolutely right. A bit of a fucking bummer. 
I, do, I don't think of the Rays as the team the Blue Jays are chasing, though, to be honest. like I see sure. them as the probable AL East winners. Um, they're just behind the Red Sox. That that's a better roster in my view, and you know more consistent pitching. And I just you know I just have more faith in them to push the right buttons when it all comes down to it. And I don't I'm not even sure if the Red Sox are who the Blue Jays are chasing. I think the Blue Jays are chasing the Athletics or whoever ends up in that second mm-hmm. thing, or the Yankees if the Yankees get hot. So in that way, um, I guess you can be comforted as a Blue Jays fan and thinking, you know what, it doesn't necessarily matter um what the rays are doing because they might be out of reach i mean that's a somewhat defeatist and somewhat depressing way of looking at it but in some ways <laughs> yeah. it's also a more positive way of looking at it so I, I encourage you guys to take that view on it if it makes you feel better about nelson cruz i know there was some smoke with him in the blue jays i never believed that that was going to be a thing you know they've got four outfielders that they like to use they've got a dh spot they like to give springer rest you know they like to have Vladdy roll through there once in a while. I would have been so surprised to see them go out and get Nelson Cruz, even if they, you know, kick the tires there as they do on everyone. Yeah, they, I mean, and with Dickerson, they have five outfielders, yeah, which true. is uh, something's something's got to give here with the way their roster is uh, is sort of misshapen. I think, which is going to be tough. It's going to be real interesting. I think it's entirely possible that somebody who fans like and who the team likes might have to might have to make way for uh for for improvements but it, but i don't know well but also dickerson's only a rental really uh n- not re- not really like like literally uh so maybe you don't maybe you don't move things to around too much but there that that to me is the real interesting sort of part of the roster the the corner outfields uh the corner outfielders uh which you know eventually is going to be George Springer's territory, I think, as well, right? So uh, they're like Guriel Hernandez, obviously, like huge part of the team culture and everything, uh, and yet you you really kind of need to do better. Uh, maybe not than Te, Te Oscar, who I I am completely fine with in right field, um, but yeah, Guriel is a guy that I, I I think that would hurt people to see him go. But there's a lot of sense in him not being around, I think, too. Yeah, he, he's an unbelievably likable and charismatic player. And it's funny, I was thinking about this when the whole Stephen A. thing about Otani came out and how he's not Markova. And I just want to say, like, you know, ask Blue Jays fans how much they love yeah. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., <laughs> who they've never heard speak to them in English before. Like, it, it, that was a stupid thing. And Gurriel was kind of one of the first guys that came to my mind because he has this magnetism and this personality that's that draws people in and he has ability too you know he's got raw power uh, he can spray the ball around he can get hits on balls in play he can get really hot but he's a bad bad left fielder and when you're a bad <laughs> bad left fielder yeah. the the bar for your bat is so high and he can he yeah. can barely clear that sometimes. He can when like, he's on his hot streaks. He can his but ceiling are, yeah. for a season is probably clearing that bar, and he has done in the past. But yeah, I don't think he's a long-term starter for the Blue Jays. I think they, you know, they because of all the difficulties had, they were so relieved to see him sort of find a home in, in left field to some extent. But they should have stuck to the original plan of having him move around. Like if he can't play second base, fine. Um, you know, he's someone who has, in theory, the skill set that probably would have worked fairly nicely at third base. I don't know if he'd been a great mm-hmm. third baseman, but 
he would have been, you know, probably better than some of what they've seen and better than he is in left field. And so the whole promise of him being the Swiss Army knife who's on this long-term affordable contract and can hit and play a lot of positions is super valuable. But instead, he's kind of a bad starting left. And I know he's hit well over the last little bit, but, you know, he'll slump again. And, you know, he, he'll probably end up an above-average hitter for the season, but that still won't be great value considering his defense. He's turned into a pretty poor starting left fielder uh, when he had the potential to be this really interesting piece that created options for the team all over the field. And he, instead, he's rigidly inflexible and it creates issues for the rest of the team. Yeah, and, and but that is that is maybe an opportunity that another team sees, like a bad team, for example, you know, to, to restore some of that potential uh, by bringing him on and being like, okay, maybe we'll give you some reps at third base. And, you know, we, like, we're the Pirates. We don't care. Uh, and the contract's affordable, and it's a very, you know, in a in, in, in a, a, a vacuum where you don't think about how fun he is and how much it's going to suck to watch fans, you know, be upset when he leaves and also watch his teammates not be happy about that either, which I think is the Blue Jays' bigger concern. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of sense in moving on there, especially now that you've got Dickerson there who's going to be a left-handed bat that I think they're going to use a lot, and, uh, and you know, the... Reportedly, I, I, I think that uh, when he was traded, I think that the Marlins were like, oh, the Blue Jays have been asking about him for a while. Like, I, I didn't hear the quote firsthand, but I believe that's out there. Like that he was somebody that the Jays have targeted for a bit. And uh, and yeah, I, I'm, I've talked myself into the fact that Gurriel's maybe going to get traded. And, and you know what? Maybe they maybe should be uh, at this point just because of the glut of outfielders. I, you know. Can still make use of him. They don't have to carry ten relievers at all times, obviously, or whatever the hell they're doing. But, uh, uh, but yeah, it's that, that is all that is all very interesting, and and you, you kind of you understand a bit why the Blue Jays, especially you know, with the emphasis the emphasis that they've put on culture and teammate stuff, uh, are perhaps a bit hesitant to do that, and also because of where they are in the standings and everything as well. Yeah, I think. When you begin to conceive of a trade, you know, one of the easiest ways to do it is think of, okay, who are players on my team that have value to other teams that is greater than the value they have to this team? And mm -hmm. Guriel, because you could re-explore some of his positional possibilities because he's on this contract, um, because, you know, he does have offensive talent, undoubtedly. He And maybe because he could be, for a young team, um, he could be a bit of a culture builder too. He does have mm -hmm. that value to other teams that at this point, especially, you know, as, as you said, as Dickerson comes back in and as Springer eventually maybe moves to corners or at the very least wants to DH a fair bit in the short term. Um, well, Austin, Austin Martin's going to push him out of center, let's yeah, be honest. <laughs> of course. Our shortstop Austin Martin. Um, <laughs> I think he's playing center a lot. But he is a guy, much like you know, some of the prospects we talk about, that's simple, right? Kevin Smith has yeah. more value to another team than he does to the Blue Jays because maybe he can go play in the bigs for them. And he's not going to play in the bigs for the Blue Jays. So, boom, he has more value to them. Gurriel's case is a little bit more nuanced, but I think it, it's true. He has more value to another team right now than he has to the Toronto Blue Jays. And as a result, uh, it's not unwise to see him as a trade chip. I don't know if that's going to happen uh, at this deadline, I could see it happening in the off season. You know, it may never happen at all. They may think, okay, we're the Dodgers. We want to have eleven starting caliber players, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
um, mm-hmm. and we can always afford to keep Guriel around on his contract. So it's it's no lock, but the basis of a trade is that you know my guy is more valuable to you than he is to me, and Guriel seems to fit that mold. Yeah, you're right. The Dodgers theory is good too, though. It is nice to be. If you can be the Dodgers, do it. That, <laughs> that's my team building. In some ways, yeah. In, in roster building yeah. ways, yes. Yeah, we're going to keep that narrow. In, in yeah, please. Team building, <laughs> roster construction, be the Dodgers if you can. Uh, before we get out of here, um, we've got the weekend series ahead. It is the ultimate old friend alert series. The New York Mets, who just are the Toronto Blue Jays cast-off team. Pilar, Villar, Stroman, Yenzi Diaz, Aaron Loop, Taiwan Walker... And Miguel Castro, all on the Mets. Where do you think? <laughs> I mean, for me, you know, old friends, maybe old acquaintances in a couple of cases. Where, mm. where does that put them? Do you think for the you know Blue Jays teams that we have positive feelings about? Like I, I think you know a lot of those players are beloved. Obviously, Pilar and Stroman stand out in that. Liz, like, is that list of names enough? You think to get people to be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I hope the Mets do well. I'm curious in them, or is it, um, you know, some people have mixed feelings about Stroman and a lot of these guys. You know, a lot of people have negative feelings about Aaron Loop to a, I would say probably a rational degree. Um, he's a good dude. Uh, he never, I mean, he the, was so he was generally decent with the Blue Jays, but he is widely hated by a certain demographic of Blue Jays fans. Um, is it is it enough, or is it just kind of a, a you know a bullet point about who here's who we're playing this weekend? I, I think that plus the fact that it's like the other New York team, and we don't like the 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 big one, uh, probably factors into like some good vibes about the Mets. Um, though, yeah, you know nobody's nobody's going to be sentimental about seeing Aaron Loop. It's uh, it's it's definitely about Stroman and and to a lesser extent Pilar. Though you know people really like Pilar. Uh, um, yeah, it, it's it, it's definitely a thing, um, but I, I I don't know. I couldn't tell you if it's just going to be a footnote or not. It, it, it it's also it, it's it's nice to get another look, uh, you know, <laughs> just to see a team that we haven't seen. Uh, well, I guess we saw them last year because of the the way that they the alignment is. But you know, go, uh, I, I'm I'm into it. I'm for me, it's more about the 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 second team in New York thing. Uh, I have I have friends who are Mets fans, and it's it's nice to not have to be like, um, I I hate your team, which is you know, my friends from there who that are Yankees fans, uh, it's a bit more of an issue. Yeah, I, I have a bit of a soft spot for the Mets for that reason. Uh, I think the first bet that I ever placed as a young child was on the two thousand uh, Subway Series. I bet on the Mets. I was keen on Todd Zeal for some reason. Uh, I thought they could do it. I thought they could be a fun underdog story. And I don't know how much that bet was for, maybe a couple dollars with my neighbor across the street. And I I lost that bet, but it did give me that, you know, I probably, you know, I would have cheered for the Mets no matter what, even if I didn't have what was probably at the time 40% of my net worth on the series. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But that gave me an attachment to them. And yeah, they, they do have... A little bit of the Cubs lovable loser type of syndrome, and yeah, you know it's fun to watch some of those guys. It's pretty remarkable that Taiwan Walker has uh, become so successful with them. A little bit smoke and mirrorsy, but that's what I would have said about his time in Toronto too. So he seems to mm-hmm. be able to carry on that success is pretty impressive. 
watching Pilar at this point in his career doesn't really do anything for me, although there's a chance he could <laughs> uh, smash into a wall. And it was pretty funny when he led the San Francisco Giants in like literally every statistical category for a season. Uh, it, that was, yeah. Yeah, that was amusing. But again, uh, yeah, not... <laughs> also, and Stroman is uh, great lately. Uh, which comes as no surprise, to be honest. Stroman's great uh, lately, and Simeon Woods-Richardson isn't great lately. Ooh, that's true and too. Anthony Kay yeah. just got demoted. Blue Jays lose the trade. <laughs> it, it's weird how that could swing pretty quickly, though I think Woods-Richardson's fine. Yeah, I'm not. I think it would be extremely foolish to give up on him now. He, the, the walk rates are high, but if you go and look at game logs, he had a game with seven walks. He's still young. He could be in the minors for two, two and a half, three more years, and it still wouldn't be that big an issue. Yeah, but no, I, I think it will be. It will be nice to see the Mets. It will be nice to not see Degrom also. All right, uh, that's where we will leave you this week. Next time we te- we talk to you, we're going to come to you right after the trade deadline with some of our impressions of the many things or many uh, not things <laughs> the Blue Jays do or don't do. Uh, it may or may not be exciting, so we will see you then.